0: Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where pressure is on the menu. Many Texans are concerned about the status of the Texas electric grid today. There are a lot of competing plans that have been filed out there in the Texas legislature and at the Public Utility Commission to try and address this. But two of those plans have been filed as legislation by Senator Bob Hall. And we're going to talk to Senator today about his bills and really about his vision for the future of the uh, the electric grid on, on today's episode of the Liberty Cafe. Hi, this is Bill Peacock and welcome to uh, this week's episode of the Liberty Cafe. It's, it's always a blessing to have you here with me and uh, with us. And it's also a blessing to be sponsored by Texas Scorecard. They've got a lot of great men and women over there. Uh, fighting to, for liberty in Texas and, and bringing a biblical perspective uh, to, to their fight. So we're grateful to be part of what they're doing over there. So run over to TexasScorecard.com and find out what's going on with them. Well, I'd like us to talk today to uh, Senator Bob Hall. Uh, he, he has been working on well, a lot of issues for, for the liberty of Texans for a long time, and has been engaged particularly on the Texas grid for, for some time as well. And we're gonna have him, into, uh, we're, he's here to talk about several things that he's doing in this session to do, uh, to try and fix the problems over there. Uh, Senator Hall is the chairman of the, of the Senate Committee on Administration, and he's on a lot of other committees, Senate Finance and Health and Human Services and local government and veteran affairs to address a lot of uh, the problems we have here in Texas. Uh, he he was in the US air force for a while and then in the aerospace industry and then later in the in the 1980s uh, formed his own company professional proposal management and and really if you, if you look at his career and uh, and what he has told us and, and others that that you know as he was thinking about his children and his grandchildren and thinking about their their futures that really compelled him to become actively involved in the state's political process, and, and and he strongly believes it's time for for, for him and, and for others of us to stand in the gap for our children, our liberties, and our future, and particularly bringing his core conservative principles and Judeo-Christian values. So uh, Senator Hall, thank you very much for being on the Liberty Cafe today.
1: Oh, Bill, thank you very much for having me on. It's, a, it's an honor, and it's always a pleasure to uh, talk and work with you. Well, uh, appreciate the work you've done. Uh, I think we've known each other for a few years now and uh, seem to always be on the same side of the fence on uh, de- dealing with some of these issues that come up. So, Well, thank to be you. Here.
0: Thank you, Senator. There, you know, when I'm running around the Capitol dealing with a lot of folks who aren't on the same side of us all the time, and get a little frustrated with it, I know I can always find refuge coming over to your <laughs> office and visiting with you and your staff over there. It's 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 always a blessing. So thank you. Um, so uh, you've been working on on grid issues for a long time, both both the security and and of the grid, but also concerns about just the you know the the high cost and, and the lack of reliability of the Texas grid, as well, and uh, it, it seems like you could boil it down to you know you want an affordable, reliable supply of electricity, and you want the grid to actually be operating to bring that electricity to us. And so, I thought we, we'd start today with uh, kind of looking at the, uh, the the reliable and affordable supply. Make sure that the Texas is, is a affor- has a affordable and cheap electricity. You know, and and it actually, there's enough of it to go around. And so, you know, there's a lot of plans out there, as I mentioned earlier, the, the PUC is working on something. Governor Abbott seems to be supporting what the Public Utility Commission is doing. Uh, the House is kind of here and there on kind of things. The Senate just recently came out with a plan as well. And they're all trying to address this issue, but but in your bill that you have filed on this, uh, you're concerned about all those things as well. But you went straight at renewable energy and, and trying to deal with with improving the the reliability of the Texas grid. Can can you just start off telling us what, why you thought that uh, addressing a lot of the concerns, particularly not so much renewable energy itself, but the subsidies for renewable energy, why that was so important for you to uh, address?
1: Well, Bill, it's, uh, from my perspective, first to explain and uh, understand the, the principles of good government, uh, which is one of the things that got me involved that you mentioned out, was I saw we had drifted so far away from uh, understanding what the real role of government is in our society, uh, and and that is protecting uh, individuals, protecting our liberties, protecting us physically, physically. Uh, and particularly protecting our individual rights, uh, into getting into meddling and messing with the market system. And while some people say, well, electric it is not really part of the market, uh, well, it is in Texas. Texas uh, made a, a, a very decisive decision uh, several years ago to, to go from a capacity market uh, that was highly regulated to a competitive market. And now we have uh, changes in technology that have come along and uh, some, some rather radical uh, policies, I would call them radical woke left policies of uh, the new Green Deal and uh, looking to new forms of energy that are supposedly uh, non-polluting, just to make a quick description of it which has led us to what they call renewables. You know, they consider the fossil fuels to be a non-renewable, renewable, assuming that we do not have an endless supply of what we have. Uh, They've said, well, we need something that we can, we can keep getting for free from nature. And, uh, And that's let's take the sun. The sun's always going to shine and we don't pay anything for sunshine and the wind's going to blow and it's always going to blow and we don't pay for the wind. And let's use those, convert them to energy and do it, do a a few um, mathematical calculations and say, why, by golly, we can get uh, renewable energy for free is basically what they were selling us. You know, it doesn't cost us anything. Well, if it didn't cost us anything, why in the world does it need so many subsidies to be out there? Uh, if it is truly competitive let it be competitive but that's the problem we 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 have uh, we are now encountering uh, it's not free and uh, it's um, uh, it just doesn't happen by itself and matter of fact uh, solar energy is very expensive as is wind energy when you take into consideration the total cost of it but what the federal government has done and the state to some extent has helped but not to the extent the federal government has, we have decided to slip money in, you know, through the back door, to speak. And that is pay for stuff that a, uh, a, a gas-fired plant or a coal-fired plant or even a nuclear plant would have to pay itself, pay for itself. The investors would have to put that investment into building it. Well, the federal government says, don't worry about that. We'll pay for this development cost. We'll pay, pay you for the production costs. We'll offset those costs so you can get out there and you can provide this free energy to the people. Well, it's, it's, it's a, a process that's just taking money out of one pocket instead of the other. But what it does to us is, uh, and they fail to tell you, is that what we're going to provide you is not really reliable energy. These these are classified and rightly so as unreliable energy sources. Wind and solar are not reliable. They are not dispatchable in the in the power world. That means you don't get it when you push the button. You have a coal-fired plant. Right. You have a gas-fired plant. Nuclear plant. You want something from them. You you just turn the switch on and and it comes when you've got it scheduled. Wind or uh, uh, the wind energy only comes if they happen to have enough wind blowing blowing to turn the blades. And solar only comes if the sun's shining. Well we know the sun doesn't shine half the time and the wind doesn't blow about half the time. And so between the two, and in quite often those times are exactly the same time. So when you have capacity built on what you're being provided with wind and solar, you only have part-time capacity, and you really can't count it. It's not reliable. It's not there, and and then by expanding the amount of what you have, and this wouldn't be a problem if it was out there in the two to three five percent. It'd be a nice novel idea, and no, all that's cute, wouldn't that nice? Uh, we've got some wind and solar out there, but right now that has grown to about thirty percent of our capacity out there, and. And when we're using it, because they're able to put it, you know, online with all the subsidies, very cheap compared to the coal and the fire, a gas fire, uh, 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 any of the thermal plants out there. And right. so that means that they have to run really lean, and it also puts a wet, a, a totally wet damper on any investment in new thermal energy. And therein lies the problem that Texas currently has. We don't have enough thermal capacity to sustain our current growth. We barely have enough to to feel to comfortably get through uh, a hot day or a cold day. And with the rate of growth and the lack of uh, new thermal energy coming online, Texas is not far away from not being able to deliver energy up. Uh, electricity without having brownouts. I uh, know people don't want to hear that, but it is it is the absolute truth. We're at near capacity now. We barely made it through. We made it through this winter because we didn't really have a winter. And uh, we made it through last summer because we really didn't have a typical Texas summer. And so uh, one of the things what we need to do in this area is we need to level the playing field. It, I, I do not have a problem with solar, don't have a problem with uh, with wind energy. Uh, they are legitimate sources, but they need to play in the game on a level playing field and quit fooling the people by having these subsidies that make it appear that they are able to produce cheap energy. Uh, Which only benefits those who build the systems. The folks who build—that's where the money is made. They—they make their profit by by putting the systems out there, put them online, and after that, it's uh, it's the system that pay ends up paying for it. So we need to make some changes, and so that's why I filed SB seventeen fifty two. It addresses transmission and distribution of renewables to make some changes that will level the playing field. um, one of the things that we'll do is to make sure that they pay for their transmission cost, and that we stop building what we call CREZ lines. They're the competitive renewable energy zones uh, where they they get to build their lines for them to tra- uh, transmit on, and they don't have to pay for it like the the uh, thermal do. <clears throat> and and yeah,
0: got- I saw that in your bill, Senator. That and I thought it was really great because you know, as you're, I know you're aware. Back in 2005, the legislature mandated that we build, the, the state, PUC, build these CRES lines and out to West Texas, and which is really odd because, in one sense, because most people don't live out West Texas, right? People live in East Texas and along the I-35 corridor and Houston and towards Dallas, and yet they wanted to build these transmission lines hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And the only reason they wanted to do that, I think, was so that wind farms they could build out there and transmit this this electricity across the state, but that was a great cost. The just the overnight cost of building those things, getting the steel on the ground, was 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 about seven billion dollars. And but the the annual cost of that today is is about eight hundred million dollars a year that that Texas consumers are paying for those lines. Yet the big beneficiaries were the uh the wind farms out there so you're saying your bill would would shift the cost of paying from those lines from from the consumers to to the to the operators who get those federal subsidies
1: that's right we need to, for, to for, so the price of their energy is on a level playing field the cost of doing business for them becomes more level of with the cost of doing business with the thermals so that once we do that and and and, and They'll say that the bottom line, that the, the citizens pay for everything. That's, that's what you have to understand. It's sure. not like we're going to save people money. Uh, it, it's uh, the only people that have money, uh, the place money comes from, are the people. The government doesn't have any money and businesses don't pay for it themselves. They pass that on to their, to their customers, which are the people. So they're paying it out of their left pocket or their right pocket. What this does is levels the playing field so that those who would build thermal plant, uh, plants would be would be more incentivized to do so, knowing that they could do, build those plants and then be able to compete in delivering uh, uh, electricity as their product. Uh, yeah. It also takes some of the other subsidies, like uh, prohibit the Chapter three 312 uh, abatements out there, I'd include the 313s also. They uh, don't yeah. want to get those started up again, but no, no subsidies coming from the government. Let them, you know, buy their land, build their their, their uh, generators, and operate just like a thermal plant would do.
0: Well, that, yeah, and, and I agree with that. You talked about the the local property tax abatements, as you pointed out. So, you know, Chapter three twelve. Most people probably don't know all this stuff, but Chapter three twelve or abatements that cities and uh, counties can offer for businesses to come in and lower their property taxes while the rest of us are paying the same amount. And then Chapter 313 is what the school districts can do. But but as you pointed out, that died last year. But there, And so one of the big beneficiaries of that over the last decade or so have been renewable farms, right? Wind farms and solar farms. Matter of fact, they've been the biggest customer of of those, uh, abatements over time. And, but with chapter 313 go that, you know, that's where the big chunk of money is for the w- wind farms and solar farms. And so that's gone right now, but there's an effort, I guess, in, in the house. And maybe I think there was one bill filed in the Senate as well to bring back something like chapter 313 for, um, for businesses in general, but also I think it would be, um, for renewables as well. What how do you what do you think the, the the feel is in the legislature? Is is it possible that they might bring that back this session, or you know, it died last session? Do you, do you think we might be successful in killing it off again?
1: Well, this is one thing for sure. Anything is possible in in the Texas legislature, uh, and to say it's not possible or it is it is not possible to say that. Anything can happen. Atmosphere here changes on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis, uh, from hot to cold on issues, depending on the the new spin, the new twist that the lobby happens to bring in to change people's thinking or, or deflect their their thought process. Uh, But I would say that it it was pretty pretty deeply buried last session, uh, in in not even getting to to uh, uh, it's head out of the ground at all. And I don't, I don't know of anything uh, other than the governor wanting to do it, that, uh, that has brought it back to life. I haven't heard anybody running around, you know, we got to have three thirteens. We got to have three thirteens. 13s. Uh, so uh, I haven't heard anybody come up with a, a great loss we've had. Uh, it, uh, they did far more damage than they did good. They, they, uh, we have a lot of people that had to pay a whole lot more taxes uh, than they would have had they not been around. So I think the 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 uh, I, I I think they're dead. I I'm, I would have to say I don't. I think it's a bigger fight for them to to come back again than it is to to keep them keep them buried.
0: Well, let's hope so. There's a lot of us out here that think that property tax abatements like that are are bad, not just because they help renewables, but basically because they give tax favors to big businesses at the expense of the rest of us, because we're not getting tax abatements. As a matter of fact, you know, we're we're trying to get a lot of money back. Uh, citizens are right now trying to get a lot of our money back from the surplus, and and the legislature's given us looks like at this point some of that. But then they're also willing to go over and give a bunch of that back over to businesses in the form of these big. Abatement, so I'm hoping that bill just goes away. Myself personally, anyway. Um, so on, so on your bill, that you know, like like I mentioned, there's a lot of folks who are out there, uh, you know, proposing new subsidies for the thermal generators because you know it's like you know the government has kind of messed things up by subsidizing renewable energy, but uh, but rather than really attack those subsidies, they just the other plans are all giving more uh, subsidies to the to the thermal generators out there. You you went straight after the renewable subsidies, but do you, do you get a feel that you know whatever comes out of the legislature this session, it's going to be we're going to wind up with more subsidies for for the the thermal generators as part of the catch up? Or what are your thoughts?
1: I, I can I hope not. Uh, it we we might have to do something at the front end to kind of make up for for what took a few years to germinate. And that is this uh, big gap that we have that uh, we, we might have to put put some money up to help uh, with the financing of the building uh, because the power plants might not be able to get the financing with the, in the market, particularly with the thing market being so unstable. So we might have to dedicate some money to a fund that would uh, back loans for the plants to, to come up, I, I'm not particularly, you know, enamored with that idea. But it's probably, you know, the least of the market interferencing uh, that I think we could do is to just back uh, financing for them. And I'd, I'd be okay with doing that because because we have a problem. We there's sometimes we can't stand real hard on on some of our, our principles and and watch the ship sink and one thing we can't do is let the let our power ship sink so at this point since since the government messed it up uh to begin with uh we're we're gonna have to do some messing to to get it back on track but i don't want to see us get into something where where we are are doing subsidies you know trying to balance the level uh, level the playing field with ongoing subsidies you know one what's one thing to to back loans to get them started, as opposed to providing some kind of uh, incentive that's ongoing to, to level the playing field. That, that I would not be in favor of.
0: Well, good. And I would, I would join you in that. And I hope that's the the, the case we go as well. All right, well, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about the resilience of the grid you know, that, that has been a concern of yours for, for some time. There's, there are, Physical things that can happen badly happen to to the electric grid, and and could you just explain you know where you started with this, how you got into these concerns about the electric grid, and you know the, the, it's it's physical safety, and then we can talk a little bit about your approach to um, to, to solving that issue.
1: Sure, I'm trying to give you a very abbreviated version of how I got into it because it goes started all the way back when I was a junior captain in the Air Force in the 60s uh, I was assigned to the Minuteman missile program and uh, in the design of the Minuteman 2 at the time and uh, shortly after uh, DARPA and the Pentagon discovered that the threat called the EMP a threat electromagnetic pulse threat to our uh, as a weapon that the Russians could use against us and particularly against the Minuteman missile, uh, they said they said we were going to have to do something to protect against this because our nuclear protection for Minuteman was all around the kinetics, you know, a ground attack, hard concrete facilities that would survive large explosions nearby. To now a new threat that would be just an electromagnetic pulse generated while the missile was in flight. And so they said we have to do something to protect the missile. I ended up being the project officer to lead the team that hardened the missile uh, and we did that. And I shortly after that, I I decided I was not going to make a full career of the Air Force because they wouldn't let me fly their jets and be a hotshot <laughs> fighter pilot. So <laughs> I decided I went in the aerospace industry and that's where I stayed for uh, until I retired uh, back around about 2008. Got involved with the Tea Party, ran in, ran into some folks uh, at a meeting uh, that was on his uh, education meeting, and and learned that there was a great concern about the EMP threat against our electrical grid system, which was a brand new news to me. I seen in that interim, I had never told anybody what I did in the Air Force because it was so highly classified. Uh, it was way above top secret. I mean, it was uh, the most. It was the most classified program we had going at the time because it put us in a very bad shape with the mutually assured destruction uh, philosophy we had, which was a good one because it kept us from ever going to war. Uh, But I never talked about it to anybody. But uh, when I learned that there were people in Washington who were concerned about the fact that uh, the Russians had that in their, their war plans as a way of attacking the United States, it's like, oh, wow, you know, I never thought about that because back when I was working on it, electricity was a luxury. It was not the, the, the thing that it is today, I mean, today, Bill, you know, electricity is the second most important thing to sustaining life. The only thing more important right now in today's society is air, because a lot of people will live longer without food and water than they will without electricity. And, and they learned uh, along the way that what the uh, EMP Commission in the White House uh, had done a study, and they said, if we go without electricity for 11 months, we'll lose 90% of the population of America because nobody knows how to grow potatoes and and raise chickens anymore. Uh, And uh, so we are extremely vulnerable and nobody has done anything to protect the grid system. I learned the power power companies uh, lobbied real hard against doing anything about it. And, and then when I ended up getting elected, I mean, I, there's a lot more. Of where as I met this uh, gentleman, his name was Frank Gaffney. He's on uh, Fox News quite often, and was working this problem real hard. Um, and and I, after that conversation with him about it, I started reading a little bit about it and thought some about it, but not a whole lot. Uh, but uh, enough to guess, oh, gee, you know, that is kind of a problem. But the thing that really that brought it together was the day I the day I was sworn in the first time uh, I was got on an elevator. And what's really amazing was uh, there was only one other person on the elevator with me. You've been around the Capitol on uh, the, that day. that's usually packed with people and you can't right. people waiting to get on the elevator. But there's just two of us got on it. And uh, they did this quick conversation, you know, who are you? What do you do kind of thing? And and when I asked this gentleman, his name was Tommy Waller, uh, you know, why are you here? And he says, well, I'm with the National Center for, for Security Policy in Washington, and I'm trying to find someone here to file a bill to protect the electrical grid system from an EMP attack. <laughs> and, and so I said, whoa, really? Let's talk about it. Uh, and so we did. And and so that's kind of, that's, there, there There are many more God events in that to build and to have time to talk about that happened in between there that, that built up to this. Other people I met and talked with and, and books I read and stuff like that. But that's how it got me started that I understood it. And matter of fact, at that time, when I brought the subject up, people people in the Capitol could not even spell EMP. That, that was... <laughs> at the time. And they look at me like I was nuts. And uh, and it kind of treated me that way that first year. And it kind of drug on like that. I've done this more than once now. And um, after Yuri, though, you wouldn't believe the number of phone calls I got. The people says, we should have listened to you <laughs> a long <laughs> time ago. We wouldn't have this problem. But uh, but what it is, is uh, our, our electricity is so important and it is so vulnerable to uh, attacks of various kinds, not, not the least of which are physical attacks. Uh, we've seen that around the country lately with uh, with just rogue groups blowing up transformers. Uh, it wouldn't take very much in an organized effort nationwide or throughout Texas uh, t- for an organized group like like happened in Pernalis uh, here, just a few years back here in Texas, happened this last year in, in the Carolinas and up in Washington and Oregon. And people just uh, blow up or shoot up transformers and throw the system into a chaos situation and shut the entire thing down. Uh, that's just one attack. You got cyber attacks. They're going on all the time to take control of it. And the problem that we have with the cyber attacks is that we have a, a large number of, of our high-voltage high transformers here in the United States now that were made in China, and we know they have malware in them. I mean, there, there's no question about it. We know that it's there. And so that right. would give the Chinese or whoever has control of them uh, the ability to shut those things down, and we couldn't do a thing about it. Uh, and so you got that. And then we have the nat- a, a natural threat of uh, what's called a GMD, a geomagnetic disturbance. So some people refer to those as sunspots that uh, they occur all the time, but they're generally at a low level that they are just more of an irritant to the system than they are real damaging. Uh, They're they're much stronger in the northern part of the the hemisphere than the southern part, but they have in the past and can have the capability of being extremely large. Uh, We know that. We have documented uh, a very large uh, geomagnetic disturbance back in in 1859. Uh, People can look it up and Google it, the Carrington event. It destroyed our telegraph system from coast to coast. Uh, It burned up uh, railroad ties and sent operators to the hospital. We had an event today that size. It would take down our electrical grid system. No question about it. Uh, And then we have the uh, back to the EMP threat. Uh, We used to be worried about a big nuclear war. EMP is a weapon that an enemy such as China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, or even a small group of ISIS could could do, because it's not a big war. It's a single event, a single event of a single nuclear weapon being detonated um, above the atmosphere, roughly 200 nautical miles above the central part of the United States, talking about over Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, uh, and small weapon, doesn't have to be very big, and it'd be effective line of sight. It would take out, burn up, anything electrical electronic and it's not i'm not talking about shutting it down i'm talking about burning it up when it when it goes out it's it's destroyed it won't work again uh because our circuit breakers are too slow and lots of other things and most of our electronics are very sensitive to high cur- to currents and so we would have no communications uh no television no nothing electrical like uh, automobiles built since about 1974 with electronic ignition uh, would most likely be inoperative. Pumps wouldn't run. Water wouldn't run. We would. We would be in the 1800s, and that's a single event. And that could occur with, um, and, and we have, but with a medium-range missile being launched off the back of a cargo ship sitting off the coast of Galveston. Uh, would take about a half a dozen guys to do it. Uh, and we have watched the Iranians practice launching a missile like that. We have watched the North Koreans and and the launch of uh, one of their ICBMs, and we would say, oh, it was a failure, it had the wrong trajectory. No, those of so those shots was a trajectory that they would take to, to do an EMP attack. Uh, and, and we know for sure that the, back when uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, you know, we had a lot of high-ranking Russian officers, uh, military officers, defect to the United States, And some of them brought with them some documentation to help make themselves more welcome to the U.S. They packed boxes full of classified military documents that disclosed that the Russians indeed had in their war plans a preemptive attack on the United States of an EMP attack. Uh, No question. And that they had shared this information technology with the Chinese. And we know the Chinese had shared it with the North Koreans. And we know it's real because we have those weapons. Matter of fact, when General Schwarzkopf was going to go into Baghdad, he asked permission to do a preemptive EMP attack on Baghdad to make it easier for him. And he was turned down and said, nope, that'll be too devastating on the civilian population. We're not going to let you do that. So we know it's real. It's out there. And and so that's what my bill is, is to say, guys, we know these threats are out there. It's irresponsible of us to continue to ignore them, to c- continue to allow the power companies that are run by executives who care more about their paychecks and their bonuses than they do about protecting the people, it's time to get past that and start to do something about it. And so that's where we are with that bill to begin that process, but not only for the grid itself, but for the rest of the uh 16 uh parts of our uh Critical infrastructure that we need to have survive, you know, like like water and sewer and fuel and transportation and, and emergency service and so on. We've got to have a comprehensive plan to in the event of a long term power outage. And so that's what SB three thirty is all about, is to begin that process of of a plan to make our grid secure and be prepared uh for either a natural or man-made attack on the grid.
0: Well, that's good. I'm, you know, this is a concern that all of us should be, uh, should be thinking about. And so does your your Senate bill 330, does it it, it kind of basically set up an infrastructure, if you will, to, to begin that conversation and move us in the, in the direction of seeing what we need to do to, to fix the, fix this concern?
1: Yes, it, it puts up puts together a commission that will be made up uh, of just about all of the of the uh, state agencies. Uh, it will include the power companies, ERCOT and PUC, but it will be headed up by our emergency management division. And it did that for, for a very good reason. One is this is an emergency management scenario that we're talking about. And I did not want it in the hands, the, the leadership role in either PUC or ERCOT, because they've had eight years to do this. They have eight years they could have done this, and they chose not to. And it's the same way the problem we have at the national level with NERC and FERC, the agencies that oversee the national power grid. They are, they are run by members of the power company, and their goal, and, and, and this was exposed after uh, Yuri, uh, when it turned out that uh, doing the uh, look back at what they did in their actions, they were oriented towards protecting the power company, and so in the way we had ERCOT PUC structured before Yuri, uh, they were they were there to protect the power companies before consideration for the people, and uh, so that that scenario will not work. We have to put the people first. And what the power companies, the generators, transmission, and all, ERCOT, PUC, have to be focused on how do we best serve the people and how do we structure this so we minimize any amount of downtime we would have or, or lack of power as a result of a uh, one of the threats, whether it's man-made or natural, coming against us. All
0: right. Well, Senator Hall, I really appreciate your taking the time to be on the Liberty Cafe. I appreciate your efforts to, on both, well, on the Texas grid, uh, dealing with renewables and making sure it, the the grid actually functions, and and really just everything you're doing up there to uh, protect liberty and, and fight for our Christian values up there in the Capitol. So thank you for for being on today.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having. Me. I really appreciate all what you do, Bill. It's uh, it's been great. It's great dealing with you because I know what your principles and values are and, uh, and and what acts you have to grind and don't have to grind in doing this. And uh, so I want to th- thank you for having us on and, uh, and letting the people know about it. I look forward to coming back again sometime.
0: All right. Thank you. And thanks to everybody else out there for, for being with us today and joining in on the Liberty Cafe. And thanks again, once again, to our sponsor, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show
1: and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.